Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl. We are back with another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Now before we get started, y'all know I can't do any podcast episode without thanking you all for listening. So thank you for listening, boo-boo. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are out there in podcast land, you choose to limit your ears once a week for about an hour or so. So Tribe Letter is going out no later than 12 p.m. today, Pacific. If you're listening to this episode before 12 p.m. Pacific, you might want to tap in if you're not signed up. The playlist in honor of Erica Badu's 50th birthday that passed over the weekend will be in that letter. Uh, it's about 25 songs. I wouldn't miss that if I was you. Um, so with that being, and that's not being released publicly either. None of my playlists are public Um like, it's not like I just put them in a tribe letter and then make them public a week after. Nope. They private and they private. But you could definitely sign up through looking in my show notes or going to spiritualhomegirl.shop. And if you also have not signed up for my text club and you are attached to my old text number, which is at 323 number, I would definitely switch over to the new text club because in the next 24 hours, that number will be gone. So text HOMEGIRL10 to 81493. You can get you a 10% discount off at the HOMEGIRL shop too if you sign up. But that is going to be the new way to contact from now on um, through text. So, but I want to get into today's episode. Lisa, Lisa Woolfork of of Stitch Please, the podcast. She's the uh, producer and creator of that podcast. And she's also the creator of Black Women Stitch. And Black Women Stitch is geared towards Black women and femmes who simply want to create um, or have community through stitchery. And it's really dope because I've been wanting to return to sewing as I knew sewing to be a ancestral art form even as a little girl, just the connection of knowing that, you know, your big mama and your granny and your mama and your aunties or your cousins, y'all all, you know, they all did a quilt together. Like that's the efforts of their work. This is a really dope interview. I would definitely tap in. Lisa also is an associate professor of English at the University of Virginia. She specializes in African-American literature and culture. So she's for the culture, period. You're going to hear how exactly in this interview as well. But we talked about stitchery being a ancestral art form that people are slowly rediscovering. Uh, we talk about some great people to follow that's in the stitchery community that are black women and 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 femmes as well. And we talk about white supremacy and patriarchy. We talk about, you know, ancestor respect in terms of the this ain't your mama's, this ain't your grandmama's so-and-so, I'm not my ancestors. We discussed that as well. And we also discussed how manifestation and stitchery are directly tied. So this is a really, really great, well-rounded episode today. It's not necessarily just about sewing. It's about the spiritual energy behind it. And that's what's really dope about this episode. Um, so, And also we talk about Charlottesville because Lisa was actually there um, during the Charlottesville um, attacks bottom uh them white supremacists over there those domestic terrorists that try to incite harm upon the community and we talk about how that affected lisa as she was there and and used stitchery to help her through her trauma um so so yeah it's and it's and also the importance of creating spaces that are comfortable in stitchery for black women so yeah, this was, like I said, it's a super, super, super well-rounded episode. So with that being said, y'all, without further ado, I do not want to hold you 
Here's today's episode with Professor Lisa Woolfork. All right, y'all. I'm with Lisa Woolfork of Black Women Stitch and the Stitch Please podcast. How are you doing today? I'm better now that I get a chance to talk to you, Maria. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so glad to be here. I'm super excited. Um, as I told you before, um, stitching and just sewing in general is really important. Um, there's certain things I think that are becoming a lost arts, lost art form in um, our culture and our community. Um, gardening is one. And stitching and sewing is another. And I remember, because for those that don't know, I'm from Atlanta, so and my granny and I'm from the country, like two hours east. So my granny had these um, these these quilts, like patchwork quilts. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mama telling me, hey, you, uh, she said, you don't know this, but big mama, granny, and my and us, like, we sewed these together. And I thought that was so cool because you have three, and I don't even know if her mama was alive then, but it's, well, big mama's mama. But it was just cool to see, like, this is three generations of work in a garment. And I was just so fascinated with that to the point where, like, me and my sisters was, like, fight not fighting for real, but, you know, I want the quilt. I want the quilt. There were multiple ones. Um, And it's just, like, now it's, um, I don't know if we're doing that as much because we have so many things that are technologically uh, based in and there's so many other services that you can just go. Like there's even a laundry service and app that you they can pick up your laundry and do stuff for you. So it's like, who's to say that's not the same for putting together garments or hemming oh. your pants or sewing a hole in a button. So I just want to talk to you more because it sounds like you're doing your part to make sure that this is still relevant because it needs to be. Absolutely. I'm of the opinion that sewing, the needle arts are an ancestral craft for Black people. That these are things that we did during the earliest days of our arrival in this country. And we did this for means of survival and to extend our sustenance. And I do believe, I agree with you in part that this sewing is a lost art, but it's also something that people are finding again. Just like with gardening, you have people that call themselves plant parents you know, plant moms and dads because they have all these plants and they've been studying them and they've been talking to them. And because I think that our time as we are right now in the throes of the coronavirus and stay at home orders or shelter in place, people have been forced to think about their space differently, their physical space in their homes, as well as the mental real estate in their minds and in their imaginations. And many people have taken this opportunity to start doing more things for themselves and to kind of, and to take care of these things. In my opinion, I'm of the opinion that I, I, I consider myself a fourth generation sewist. My mother sewed, my grandmother sewed, my great grandmother also sewed, my cousins and my aunts, they sewed, and I wanted nothing to do with it. I was in graduate school. I was modern. I thought this was like, why can't you just buy things? That's silly. And then I found myself in graduate school being overwhelmed by the prospect of writing a dissertation. I found myself like stressed about coursework and just exhausted mentally with no thing, nothing to distract me. And so I picked up, I picked up sewing as a way to relieve that stress. But through the t- through the process of sewing and building and creating, you get to see something transform in your own hands. And that power of transformation is a really beautiful gift 
that I wish everybody to experience. And so that is one of the things that sewing does for me. And I'm also of the opinion that everything that people wear was made by somebody. Why not let it be made by you? Everything you got on right now was made by somebody. Why not you? Everything that I have on right now, including my bra, was made by me. Even the bra? Yes. Wow. You make everything. Undergarments, shirts. Yes. yes. Goodness, that is awesome. This is raincoats, umbrellas. 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 Wow, you do it all, Lisa. It's fun. It's and it's fun. I don't make to sell. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I consider Black Women Stitch a nonprofit organization that is that is for the mental health and care and support and love of Black women, Black girls, and Black femmes in sewing. And that is what our organization does. We create space for that. We highlight and emphasize Black women, girls, and femmes who are in the sewing, if not not the sewing industry per se, but are practicing sewing as a hobby, as a creative practice, as an outlet. Many people do do it as a business and we talk about them and to them as well. We talk with uh, Black women artists. So this is, uh, it's both an art and a craft for sewing. It is both. Um, it has the craft function of building something and transforming it through one's like imaginative resourcefulness. And then it has the art element, which is completely novel and inventive and just utterly unique to that particular individual. So it's a little bit of both. And it also blends practicality and, you know, the kind of the creative spark that you really can't like trap in a jar. So it really, it's, it's a lot of fun. It can, it's, it's quite a journey actually in and of itself once you get into it. And some people have bad experiences. They've had really crappy teachers in home economics or something in high school yeah. or somebody tried to make a, make a tote bag and they hated it. And then they resent sewing for the rest of their lives. But at the end of the day, I reiterate my original point. Everything is made by somebody everything. There is nothing that's not made by somebody or something. That's how it came into the world. And if one has the opportunity to bring their own vision of their own clothes into the world, why not take it? I heard this, everything I'm hearing is just about, like, I love the fact that you referenced it as an ancestral um, art or yeah. ancestral tradition. I think that's probably going to be the title of this podcast. So I'm saying that on record so I can reference back and say, ah, there we go. So also when you said the opportunity to transform something in your yes. hands yes. and then the practicality of such with spiritual homegirl, my whole approach is bettering self and spirit from a homegirl, just like you perspective, but from a yep. practical standpoint. So yes. when it comes to the concept of manifestation, yes. people are looking for this super whimsical, mystical, invisible force that somehow makes things happen mm. um, and that you can't see, but with sewing, that's a that's manifestation right there. It's the it faith is. that it'll work out. It's the application of the actions to that faith, and you're able to manifest the garment in front of you. So I think it's really interesting that you brought up the practicality of yes. what you're doing as well as the transformation because people don't think that because when they think of everyday, quote unquote, everyday stuff like a sewing, they don't they don't look at it in that terms. 
Even yeah. with cooking, cooking is a form of manifestation. Absolutely. So gardening is a form. So I'm yeah. really glad that you brought that up because that just, to me, what I hear is manifestation. That you yeah. have something that you can wear. Yes, can absolutely. So. And, it, it's, and it also helps us to think, Maria, that manifestation, like you said, like it's like faith also requires action. So I can say, oh, I want to wear this. I want to make this dress and I want to wear it to an event next week. But if I just look at the pattern or look at the fabric and I don't take it out and cut it out and make the shapes I need to make to make it to, or take the steps I need to take to turn it into a garment, it's just going to be a piece of fabric and a pattern. It's not going to do anything. So you have to put work behind it. In addition, you could be working on something and then it goes sideways and it's like, oh, this is not what I expected it to do. And so you have to develop a workaround or a solution, or you call on your friends and say, hey, I've run into this problem. What can I do to resolve it? These are all, I think, interesting parallels for a spiritual journey as well. Um, and so I, I, I do like to think about the metaphoric properties of sewing, of putting things together, of pulling things together, of taking lots of different pieces right? Like I'm making my son a pair of pajamas right now and it's going to end up being a shirt, a button up shirt and some pants. But right now it's in 12 different pieces, right? The front of the pant, the back of the pant, the left leg and the right leg, the left arm and the right arm, the front, the back and the two fronts, the collar and the under collar, the cuffs and the hems, you know, all of these things, it's all like everywhere, the pockets, you know, the pant pockets in the top pocket, all of these things are dispersed. But through steps, every single step, that's, my, that's one of my favorite parts of the sewing process, is something starting at like 14 pieces, turning to 12 pieces, turning to 10 pieces, turning to five, turning to two, and then turning to one. And this is the one thing, here's the thing that, we, that he can now have and wear in their pajamas, you know? And it sounds like, a process of evolution in some way, and it is for me, is to see a, a garment evolve through the work of my own hands. And that's something that's, it's really very satisfying. I think very similar to gardening, you know, you, you know, you water the plants, you nurture them, you feed them, you give them the best and ideal conditions to survive and to thrive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then you just hope for the best. And the same is true for sewing. It's like, you know, I'm going to, I've done my measurements. I've got my pieces out. Yeah. I think I'm in, I think I'm in good shape. We're just going to see what happens when I put it together. It's interesting that you talked about, um, because to me, it sounds like the, the process of going from 14 pieces to 12 to what have you to get to one, that's a journey. So again, going back to the spirituality piece, uh, trusting the journey and moving forward and taking note and being in the moment as these things start to happen against yeah. another parallel between sewing. Cause, cause now, I mean, because again, I think because of the ancestral connection, I've always thought those types of things like cooking and gardening and sewing are deeply spiritual. Like that's just me though. That I think that, you know, like it may not have a, a deck of cards to go with it. You know what I mean? Right. It may not have some crystals to go with it, but it right. still is to me very deeply spiritually rooted because it's it's through our ancestors and how we learn through them. Um, right. That spirit that um, we're able to continue to pass that on. Like I got a pot from my uh from my big mama and the food in her pot tastes better and it's a cast iron too like oh well you know what a cast iron does a cast iron retains its flavors mm -hmm. that's what they call seasoning it so if you have your big mom's pot 
That means every meal that she made in it, it's, there's traces and residue of that in there. And so what you really are doing is that you are cooking on top of the work that the meals that she has done. And that's why a brand new cast iron skillet that you buy in a store, the food that you cook in that tastes different than the one that your, that your big mama gave you. Because that one has like, it has like cultural memory. It yep. has, it, for you, it has your family history. Yep. It's in there. It's in that, it's actually in that pan. And that's what's so dope about it. Cause it's like, it's the same way if I cook it in grants, a small cast iron, but for me, I'm yeah. like, it's a, it's a pot. It's three generations up for me. So yes. it's a connection. Yes. The same way if, if I'm back home, my mama house and I get the patchwork quilt and I put it on my body, I'm yes. connected to my yes. ancestors and yes. it's, a, it's a different feeling than when I go in the bed or go here in the back and go sleep right. and put a cover over me. It's a different type of connection. Absolutely. Of so I'm just really, it's interesting how like all of this is really parallel. Oh yes. It's all interconnected because we are all interconnected and everything is interconnected. Yes. It's just more convenient in some ways for capitalism to tell us that it's not and that it's separate and that these things should never intermix. And that the only way to do things that are spiritual is in a church building or a temple or a mosque. That is what spiritual is. Um, and the only way to do cooking is to do it this way with regimented recipes that you purchase and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that this is one of the, the great brilliances of Black people is that we have found our own ways and our own paths through treacherous territory and make beautiful, beautiful things along the way. Delicious food, beautiful garments and quilts, deli you know, gorgeous plants and gardens. These are the things that we do along the path of our, of our experience and history in this country. I agree. So um, I'm curious, like, so where, because you said you were writing a dissertation. So where did it come from doing this for you as an outlet to where you were like, hey, I wonder if other people or other black women and families could benefit from this too. Where did it, how long was that process of getting it from just you to serving everybody? Yes, that's a great question. I had done sewing for many, many years on my own. I had done it with predominantly white quilt groups and sewing groups. And I was an anti, still I'm an anti-racist organizer, Black Lives Matter, you know, person that, you know, believes in and wants to forward the mission. And I, I was very active in our community in 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia, when white supremacists mobbed our town all summer. Every, mo every month, like in May, we had a white supremacist rally. In June, we had a white supremacist rally. In July, we had a Klan rally. And in August, we had the largest alt-right, neo-Nazi, white nationalist rally in modern history. This ended, it was fights in the streets. It was, um, we were, after that was all done and the white supremacists had been kind of kicked out and had to march out of the city because of, you know, the violence and those kind of things. We were marching and marching down one street, marching down, I think it was Main Street. I always get, I think it's Water Street. And we were prepared to turn down one street and go to an alley and a car flies through the slams through the entire crowd of assembled counter protesters and kills a woman, injures 20 people. It is utter chaos. 
Uh, we are, it, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare to see this horrible death, this horrible thing happen right in front of me. And so after this, I had been doing a lot of like other organizing and talking with people and talking with media. And it was just exhausting. It was like my husband and I woke up screaming for weeks because of that trauma. And so I said, you know what? I need a break. I need a break. I need to get out of town. I want to do something different. I'm going to go to a quilt retreat. So at a quilt retreat, normally it's like a grown up woman's slumber party. You stay up late, kikiing. It's all this, but it's, but this white women. So they don't kiki, we don't kiki with them. But um, it's, you know, we call it a kiki, right? But yes. you get up, hang out. For my, for my white listeners, my non-black listeners, Lisa, can you explain to them the kiki, please? Okay, so a kiki is when black women, we get together, black women, girls, and friends, and we just like, laugh and have all kind of fun and kiki is the laugh yes. kiki is like yeah it's a, it's a kiki it's a kiki you get together and hang out and it's it's no it's no um nothing heavy it's just great fun and so i had gone to this event and uh because it was out of town i wanted a break and when i get there people start asking me about charlottesville and asking me was i there and how i was ah. and i was not great i was one month out from a white supremacist trying to murder me. Right. So I was not actually great, but I went anyway just to kind of clear my head, do something different. And so people would ask me how I was and I would say it was horrible and terrible and scary. And then I would just go back to what I was doing. And after, during this event, apparently a rule was made at the event that Charlottesville was not to be discussed. Okay. Right? This white woman had made this rule. Now, they made this rule not to protect me. They made the rule because they didn't want to hear about it. Oh. They didn't want to be bothered. They, yeah. these, were the same, these are the same people who believe that um, neo-Nazis and white supremacists, everybody should have freedom of speech rights. That's the problem we got now. And so I, had, I didn't know about this rule until it was explicitly told to me. It was not made in my presence. It was made when I was away and out of the room. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, fine. What do I just go home? What do I do? It's clear that I'm not wanted. And they're like, no, 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 you just stay. And so I stayed and I did my work and did my things that I had planned to do. And, you know, I left the event. And when I left the event, I noticed that the organizer did not say goodbye to me. And when I got home, I had already paid for the next event. Like, so there was an event in September and it was meant to be an event the following year. Okay. When I got home a few days later, my check for that next event had been mailed back to me. I'm not going to be messy and ask the name of that organization because I would never, ever, ever support an organization that would dismiss it, it's, it, it's just this little small group of raggedy white people. You don't have to worry about it. Um, so don't worry. It's not, it's nothing to worry about. Okay, but we're not gonna blast them because you know it. My listeners know I blast. It's I not blast. It's, trust me, they do not deserve the energy of your blast. They Got do it. not deserve it. You keep your powder dry from for somebody who deserves it. Got so it. I was hurt, I was embarrassed. I was like, who did these people think I was all this time? Right. And what what obviously had happened was I had gone from being pet, the only black woman who ever came to their events, to threat. Ooh. Someone who was threatening their peace of mind, 
their ideas, their whatever. I they were fine as long as I stayed in my place. Right. But, as lo- but when I started to say, you know, white supremacy is bad and it was horrible, that somehow was too much. And so that was the impetus for me to say, you know what, if this has happened to me and I have had these kind of harmful experiences, I bet there's other Black women out there who have had these experiences as well. And what we need is our own space. Mm -hmm. We need to have our own space where we're not just welcomed, where we're not just even tolerated, but where we are warmly invited and celebrated. And so this became my journey then to create spaces that centered Black women, Black girls, and Black femmes in sewing. Because so much of the other literature and so much stuff that you see um, until very recently um, in the predominant sewing media is all white people. You know, if you were to Google a a little while ago, like sewing woman, it would be a white woman. It would be a pair of white hands. It would be, you know, it, it was it's not again just until very recently that has changed. So the purpose of this is we're an SES as an advocacy organization, but mostly as an organization of love and sisterhood and connection and promotion and to get recognition and to just tell Black women that, you know, there's Black women all around America who are dispersed into majority white communities or they they don't know a lot of Black women that so that they could put together an event with themselves. And so the podcast is a way to kind of create that space as a digital space. And my goal is to one day have um, be able to offer retreats like all over the U.S. or to divide into quadrants or something where we get Black women together to do the thing we love with people who affirm us. I sh- I'll show up for that. Y'all do one in L.A. or if I'm in Atlanta and y'all do one in Atlanta, I will definitely be there. And I love the name of the podcast. You literally took the, the next two, three questions out of my mouth with that explanation. So thank you. But Ooh. I like the name of the podcast. Stitch, please. Stitch, please. Stitch, please. Yes, and the the tagline is get your stitch together. We're here to help (laughs) you get your stitch together. I love that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So I am curious to know, because I have some questions. um, As somebody who myself is returning back to stitching, I'm going to ask all of the questions that I think people that have been away from stitching for a while would like to ask. Okay. So I'm going to put a little bit of my seat out there. Not super nervous, but... When I was 10 years old, I had a crochet needle. My mama said, I used to crochet when I was younger. Your granny used to crochet. Your big mom used to, you know, big mama used to crochet. So I'm like, great, I'm doing what they do. And I I stuck with it for like six months. And I think I caught like, in my, I'm 10, okay? So my brain ain't really there to, to work through problems like that on something new. I got frustrated with a loop or something like that. And then I gave up. I have tried to return many years. I got a little crochet kit right here. Hey, okay. And I'm struggling though. I'm struggling. It's like the stuff I learned when I was 10 is gone. And I'm just like, how do I get back? Because for me, the book is not, it's not helping. Because my mama taught me through experience. I hear this how you got it through. And my mama not here. She's 2,000 miles away. So I'm like, how do we get back into crocheting for those, for my crochet people? Yes. So one of the things I would recommend is to follow Black crocheters on Instagram. Okay. Because very often they, well, anybody can follow anybody they want. I only follow Black people on Instagram. So that's the only people I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a strategy. 
you know, because Instagram is a way you can absolutely curate the experience you want on Instagram. You get a chance to cultivate that which you wish to see. And so for me, for Black Women's Stitch as a principle, with very limited exceptions, I only follow Black accounts and mostly accounts that are about sewing, crafting, needle arts, and social justice. Like that is because, because those are the values of the organization. And so it's important that the inputs reflect the output, right? That the input reflects the mission, right? If I was black women stitch and all I saw was skinny white women sewing, what, what use would that be to me? There'd be no use at all. So um, that's something that I've done. So I, so I say this because I'm following people like Busy Peach, B-Z-Y-P-E-A-C-H. She dyes yarn. She teaches crochet. She has meetups. She has weekly um, IG lives where she talks with different crochet pattern designers and crocheters. Like that is what she does. Um, Sassy Black Yarns. Um, um, Ajwa has a woman named Ajwa who actually, I think think she's in California and she makes amazing crochet dolls. So I think it's about expanding your vision a bit because once you see something you really want to make, you will say, okay, I'm going to give this another try. So I think having models and examples as well as attending Zoom meetups, like they host the Zoom meetups pretty regularly. I think Busy Peach does. So I would suggest connecting with someone who is doing a Zoom meetup because that can help to replicate the experience that you have had of just sitting down with somebody and someone saying, oh, wait, Maria, hold your hand differently. Wait, you need to do that. Instead of taking it over, take it under, you know, those kind of tips. And that's kind of things you can get at Zoom, actually, because you can hold your hands up to the camera. You can hold your work up to the camera for them to see you know, certain things and it can give you feedback. So if somebody wanted to get back into it, I would absolutely say find a mentor, find a community, find a community that's doing it and they will, and they'll, they'll be so happy because that's something about people who love to sew and who, you know, want to share it with their, they want to tell other people, you know, not everybody is that way, but the people who are teaching it and who are dyeing the, the yarns and those, they are about that. They want more people to do this. And so I'm sure they, they welcome you with open crochet hooks. Well, I love that because again, I had like a little kit again that had like a, I forget the the model, but I was just like, okay, I'll buy it. Come with a needle, come with a little bit of a yarn, whatever. And if I can stick with it, then I'll get some more yarn. So right. I'm glad that I know now where to um, tap in with folks that actually do classes. Because, yes. Um, maybe for next winter season, now California has a winter, like a mm-hmm. kind of sort of winter. But maybe next time I want to do my own shawls or maybe if I want to do something for blankets, maybe I want to crochet a blanket or my homegirl's having a baby in a a couple of weeks. Maybe I could crochet the baby a blanket. Like you just, like my homeboys have baby. Like you just never know. You can just do so much, period. And you know what else? Actually out in California, people make really great crochet garments like bras, tank tops, shorts, mini skirts. Um, all sorts of cute little pieces like that that people have done. I saw somebody once, this was a long time ago, they made an entire jacket that they crocheted out of Uno cards. Wow. They took the Uno cards and perforated them and used the crochet to connect them. So it was like, it was really cool. I bet. There's some really cool, like some really dope black, women 
crochet garment creators out there. And the stuff you look at, you're like, that's crochet? That's cro a duster, a sleeveless duster, long sleeve duster, bell sleeves, all kinds of stuff. I like bell sleeves. They're my middle yeah. control. I love them too, but then I'm also like, I also love to eat. So I'm always like, oh, this is so pretty. And now I got spaghetti sauce on it, you know? <laughs> I understand that too. Cause I don't eat cute. I don't eat like a pig now, but. No, 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 like, but yeah. now, I like food. And this, and this idea that somehow women are supposed to like pretend not to like is just bullshit. It's just patriarchal nonsense. So I, I like to, I gets down. I get down too. Especially if I cooked it, I know it's good. Oh, we're going to eat. Period. Especially in that big and big mama's pot. I got all that generation of good seasoning in there and cultural memory and family history. Heck yeah. You already know. So second question, I had an auntie that um that made me this outfit and it was like in the 90s. So it was like late 90s and well, kind of sort of. And plaid, remember the plaid mini skirts with the little yes. high socks? Yes. That was like a thing, right? And having like the little heart on your shirt Aww. was like the thing. So I begged my auntie to make some outfits. And she made them for us. So I'm just like, now my auntie is like, but this is my, this is my great aunt. So my great aunt made about 70-ish. From what I understand, she's still sewing. But she um, was really nice with the sewing machine. So for those that are wanting to say, hey, I want to learn about sewing from a machine standpoint, what tips or tools would you, would you recommend for us that's wanting to get back into that or to learn for the first time? Absolutely. So there are lots of, there's a lot of folks out here right now who are doing all sorts of beginner sewing classes on Zoom. So there's a, there's actually this person who's based in Atlanta. Um, her name is Nikki Griffin and she has a, a, her, her, her webpage is called Sewing My Style, but she offers individual one-on-one -on -one classes as well as group classes. She does bra making, panties. She's doing a dress series that's starting up soon. She does uh, pants. She just finished a jeans class. And she will help you make things to fit your actual body as well, which is like next level. So she does basic intro stuff. There's a group she has on Facebook. It's called Sewing Projects for Beginners. It's a big group. It's got a lot of people in it, but... There's lots of free tutorials and those kind of things. So before you commit to um, like buying a you know really expensive fabric or really expensive machine, I would advise taking a class with Nikki um, from Sewing My Style, who has so many free resources already. And then once you kind of take that step to get into it, then you'll have a lot of other options to choose from. Because if you can sew a tote bag, you can sew a bra. If you can sew a pillowcase, you can sew a button-up shirt. You know, if you can sew any kind of, it's all, the skills are all the same and they transfer. It's essentially like, it's kind of like driving. You know what? It's like driving. If you know how to drive, you can drive anywhere. You can drive to Mexico because you live in LA. You can drive to Arizona if you want. You can drive upstate to San Francisco if you want. Right. Because you know how to drive, it's all pretty much the same. I believe that's similar. If you know how to sew and you know how to read a pattern, that opens up the door to you sewing anything and everything. That was my next question. How do you read a pattern? So everybody is different. Um, one of my friends, and who's also a member of Black and Stitch, as is uh, Nikki, says that you read the instructions 
three times before you cut a thing, before you even lay your pattern, before you even take the pattern out of the envelope. You pull out the instructions first. You read the whole thing through three times. That's the first step. Read the pattern three times. As you are reading, when you get to the third time, is there anything you do not understand? Anything that doesn't make sense? I do that as well. And like, I will highlight things because they'll say, okay, do this step for step seven. And then in step nine, return to the step in step seven. These kind of notations are things that I'll make on the pattern. But essentially it's about decoding. It's about understanding what the terms mean, just like anything else, right? Uh, like if you're gardening, you have to know the difference between like topsoil and like ground soil. You have to know the difference between like what it means to, you know, when you have to mist, a, when you have to mist the plant versus when you get to soak it. You know what I mean? Like there's all these different languages and terms and, you know, vocabulary. And the same is true of sewing. And once you decode it, once you kind of learn what these terms mean and what they're asking you to do, it gets a lot easier. So I recommend if you want to, you want to start working with patterns, find something simple that you believe you can get a good outcome from. And that's why I like to give people a sense of accomplishment or satisfaction after they've done their first sewing project. So that's why I say choose something easy, but it doesn't have to be. It could be something that's more complicated as long as you're willing to kind of follow the steps laid out for you and having mentorship. And this is why community becomes important because if you have a community and you say, hey, I want to start sewing something, but I don't want my first project to be a tote bag. I have enough tote bags. What could it be? Well, hey, how about a decorative pillow? How about, you know, a, a throw? How about a shawl or a shrug? How about a little hat? Something small that you can do and have a feeling of accomplishment and then use right away. And that way you know that you have made this transformation. You have taken this piece of fabric and turning it into something you can really use and, 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 and enjoy. Okay. Thank you. That's, that's a great answer because... I know for me, I guess I'm spilling a little bit of my own tea in terms of how I operate with um, my want to get back in. I bought some old school, like years, years ago, old school patterns. Oh, oh those are so great. Offline, off of uh, eBay at the time. Yeah. And, you know, because at the time, for those who don't know, like I love vintage black culture, fashion, especially. Yes. So like Soul Train dancer culture of like the 70s. Yes. Like, the Soul Train gang, iron on shirts. And yes. the high-waisted bell-bottom jeans. Yes. I was struggling so hard to find these super cinch-waist bell-bottom jeans that I, and they were, and then, you know, not to mention people do too much with the vintage stuff. They find something for $3 and want to sell it for 200 or 80 And I'm like, no. Um, but I found these really dope um, bell-bottom, like, sets. Like, like e even back then, like, the little leisure suits. I was like, yes. I was just going through this whole, like, rabbit hole of just old-school patterns. And I was like, wait. <laughs> does this still translate now because our you know our sizes are different now our you know sizes, people were smaller back in the day so it's like were. does it still translate it absolutely does believe it or not now there's formulas so for at least in my experience for women's wear women's bodies even the patterns they have now are like out of the just out of control disproportionate to what women's bodies actually look like okay. they're talking about people who have waists that are like really teeny tiny and calling them large and i'm like in what world is that a large that's next yeah. no sense so 
all you need is your measurements. So for the vintage sewing, I know there are folks who use formulas about upsizing a vintage pattern for women um, if you can't buy it in your size. Another option though, so that's one thing that I've done is to say, okay, I'll look at this and I'll measure the pattern pieces, I'll measure my body. And so, yes, it does translate, but it is, an, it is actually a translation process. It's not a quick one-on-one. The next thing I'll say is for menswear, though, what I've noticed is that menswear translates well. So you were mentioning um, the disco soul train culture. My husband um, was doing, oh, they had a costume party at work and he, it was like a 70s theme or something. So he found, or I found a 1970s from like a 1968 pattern for a jacket uh-huh. with a collar that came down to here. And bell bottoms, right? Yeah. And I made them. I made them from him. It was like a, a it was a denim shirt that had rhinestones and that really <laughs> huge collar, and then the bell bottom pants in this sparkly denim, and they fit him. That's fire. Yeah, it was adorable. You know, he wore with a turtleneck, and then later that year there was a. Um, <laughs> That's so accurate. It's it's so funny. Oh, and that same, that later that year we went to a. Um, uh, a 70s theme New Year's party. So this, yeah. was a, this, was, this was when parties existed. And um, we went to this party and I had a Afro, I had an Afro wig oh. and like this kind of like, you know, pullovers, like slinky kind of dress. And he wore his suit, his 70s suit. And we were just looking fly as fuck. It was awesome. So love yeah, it was great. So yes, I have. And, and if you on um, on Instagram, Julian Creates, J-U-L-I-A-N, Julian Creates. He just made a pair of those bell bottoms you're describing. Yellow corduroy bell bottoms with the sailor button up, two columns of buttons, and they are so fire. Julian Creates. I hate to be on my phone in the, like this, but I need, I need to look at this right now. Yeah, check them out. Oh, those are so cute. Isn't that great? He did that. And the, with the two, with the two, that's exactly what I was talking about. The uh, the fact that you're able to, yes, that's exactly the type of build I was talking about. It just comes up a little high to the yep. point, maybe like right, maybe high waist, like right under the, yes. a little under the breast. But yes. those two buttons are like the thing. That's that makes what them, makes yes. them so fire. Yes. And it's a totally different type of fly front. It's a, to- it's not a fly front. It's a totally different, it's a totally different design right. that is utterly unique to that time period and earlier. You don't see a lot of those around today in um, current, our current aesthetic. It's just very different. Right. And there's a, uh, there's also a woman that I follow. Um, I want to make sure, is it know your, know your fashion history. Yes. And I like her because it's about black or, or black indigenous people of color models who have always been overlooked, but it sheds light on some of the fashion trends by talking about them. So in her account, I wish that people knew. Um, and that's the cool thing about Instagram. You really can't curate your own space, you Really can. Um, but her account is new, but I, I've been telling people like, go follow her, like know your fashion history. That's the name of the account. So you can get some inspiration if you want to. Thank you. I'm going to definitely check her out. Thank you. Yes. And then, um, one of my other homegirls, she's like a, um, I don't like to call it cosplay. I call her a look girl. Cause she knows how to put looks together ah, and, and okay. be super cute with it. Um, I live through her when I see her April, um, Shmedia mommy. I think that's her new name. Ah, she awesome. the name. So she has all these cool, different looks. And she likes to support black designers as well. 
So naming all of these, like, it's just, it really is an ecosystem in itself. You have an education Absolutely. piece. You have the people that want to buy from those that are creating. So it's like a cycle. So it that's is. why this, this whole conversation has been just really, um, really dope. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So with the, so let's say we doing the sewing, we do the piece, we trying to convert, or we think we put the measurements for the regular pattern. Right. We try it on, this shit don't fit. Yeah. yeah. How do you adjust if, if you, if you're not really sure, you know, if you're not really well versed on how to size yeah. and things like so that. The, so one, one way to prevent that from happening is to always check your body measurements against the pattern piece measurement. If, for example, I've got a 38 waist, which I think is what it is now. If I have a 38 waist and I look at the pattern piece and it only goes to 36, that shit's not going to fit me. Right. It's not. So why am I going to cut it out and make it in that size? It's not going to work. So what I would do is I would then add more. They call that grading. So I would grade out to a bigger size. And I have to do that as well because these patterns are not made for Black women's bodies. They're just not designed for it. So for us. And so what I would, what I have to do is I'm like, okay, so I'm this way. I measure this place up top. I measure this place in the waist and I measure this place at the butt and the hips. So I'm going to add extra here. I'll take in a little bit there and add a little bit more up there. These are the kind of things that you learn when you're first starting. But even if you're not able to do all those adjustments, make your seam allowances large. So the seam allowance is the line that you sew on. Okay. Instead of sewing on a line that's a half an inch, cut your, cut your seam allowances out one inch. So that gives you two inches extra to play with on either side. And so if you make it and you put it on your regular seam and you're like, oh, this is too tight, you have room right. to expand. But if you make your seam allowances, if you cut the piece too tiny, like for me in the 38 waist example, if I cut the first, the front of the piece and that's like, you know, 16 or 18 across the back, and then I put the other piece in and it's just at 15, it's like, it's no way 33 inches is going to cover 38. It's not going to work. Right. So these are the kind of things that you just learn to do over time. But that's why I like to recommend building up so that people don't get, like, if you want to make something beautiful for the, for your very first project and it turned out terrible. You'd be so frustrated. Some people get frustrated and demoralized. They're like, fuck it, I'm not, I don't like sewing. It don't work for right. me. That's because you chose a project that was really too difficult, or you chose materials that aren't good for that are, you know, that aren't good for a beginner to use. Um, that basically I like people to set themselves up for success. You know what? That's my next question. Fabric. <laughs> so with the ecosystem piece, and this is where I think you could definitely provide um, some insight for me because I don't know. Do you know of any Black um, fabric suppliers? Yes. Um, I know of Black fabric suppliers, Black fabric designers who are designing unique and um, culturally relevant pro-Black prints. Um, you can follow these companies. These are small women-owned businesses that are absolutely providing fabric. Amelia Lane Designs is one, Quinora Renee Designs, Emerald Curtain Fabrics. Those are just three of, and there's more. Actually, this month, that as we conclude the month of February, we're heading toward the end of a Black History Month pattern challenge where um, we're pattern designers, Black pattern designers are being amplified, Black fabric 
producers are being amplified and there's, it's really, really cool. So if you're interested in learning more about the Black Sewing uh, resources available, the Black um, Black History Month Pattern Challenge, or Black, it's called Black History Month Pattern Designers Challenge, so BHMPD. Um, that's the hashtag they have. And there's so many amazing garments I've seen people make. And it's like, I got this fabric from a Black pattern maker, black pattern. I bought the fabric from a black fabric company and I bought, and I, and I bought the pattern from a black pattern maker and I have this come together and it's blackity black, 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 you know? So there's a lot of that and it's really quite nice. So yes, there are, um, black fabric vendor, black fabric vendors, um, even in the quilting world is a company called quilt with soul. And it's a, it's a quilt shop that specializes in um, black and African continental themed fabrics, as well as, you know, the kind of traditional American stuff as well. So there is, yes, there absolutely are resources. And then I also have a, a friend who has a shop in Rahway, New Jersey called Cultured Expressions. And not only does she do online shopping where you can do it FaceTime, like we're doing right now, but she'll walk around her shop and show you where this came from, from Ghana and this is from Sierra Leone and this is from this and 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 you can buy it just like that and she'll mail it to you. Um, she also offers retreats like in Africa, in Colorado. She's done them in Jamaica for people to come together and sew together. So wow, um, that's interesting because like um, my father told me early, early when I was a little girl, he was always like, you know, you come from warrior people, you know, of Asante people from Ghana. So, like, I've always had a bit of a preoccupation with, like, all things Ghanaian. And I know some of my homies that's, like, of Ghanaian ancestry, mm-hmm. I know they probably be tired of me because I'd be like, try brother, try sister, what's going on? <laughs> every, like, every, they'd be like, okay, Maria. Like, I'm like, <laughs> no, we're connected. Like, so, you know, like, I just, and plus when you find out about the Ashanti people, like, it's just, it's a different type of pride. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like, you know, so it's yeah. just really cool. It's just that, um... The, the you know the way history set up they settled in the Caribbean and then my father came down the line from there but it's just really cool to know like when you're connected um it's just a, it's just about being connected period it's like yes, so it's from being here it's a diaspora type of situation yes what I'm from yes. what I'm getting from just this whole conversation it's really um diasporic in nature really yes, it is yes it absolutely is because it's really interesting that for the stitch please podcast i have listeners all over the world i've got folks listening in i think when i looked before it's like 98 countries that people wow listen that is great it is quite a it's great it's wonderful i'm so yeah. excited it's great and i you know when i started the podcast back in 2019 i was convinced that nobody but my relatives would listen not including my children who told me straight up they would not listen. So, yeah, they were like, no, mom. Right. Hey, let me stay honest. No. Like, and it was like offended. Like, I wouldn't even ask. Like, what? what? No. How old are your kids? If you don't mind me asking. Like, no, I don't mind. They are uh, 22 and 17. Oh, okay. Well, I see their response. They're like, no, yeah, mom. yeah, exactly. Maybe exactly. the no mom age, like, mom, it's, it's, no. It's, like, yeah, a lot of no momming. Like, seriously? Like, my mom sends me memes, and even now I'd be like, mom, for real? Like, exactly. Okay. Y'all, don't, y'all won't let us be great. That's all I have to say. I mean, we're going to let y'all be great, but my mom just sent me something this morning talking about first show. It was like the big little, like, Snapchat first show, and she's standing on the first show talking about some. 
I'm like, oh, oh, the oh, emojis, oh, the whole night. She be sending oh, emoji messages oh. talking. I'm like, mom, really? Look, we need support and encouragement. I love it. I love it though. Cause I, know, I mean, I knew my mama was cool, but when you get grown, your mama, a different level of cool. It's like, oh, she's a woman now. She's always been a woman, but it's like, yes. she's yes. an adult like yes. me. Okay. I can't, I, mean, like I can't cuss in front of her like that, even though she know I'll be cussing on my platform because my mama knows her child, but still it's just like, wow. Like my mama's a whole adult. This is kind of cool. Like I can talk oh, to my mama buddy. about everything. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. Like oh, when, you, oh, when you discover that your mother actually knew what she was talking about. Right. That's the thing, you know, like you, as you get older that I find myself doing, um, I saw this, I saw this poster once and it says, sometimes I talk and my mother comes out. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Cause you, have you ever found yourself saying something that your mother was saying? You know, don't borrow trouble is like a generational phrase. My granddad said, my mama said, I said, now, so when somebody was telling me about somebody's drama, they about to get involved in, I'd be like, don't borrow trouble. And I have to catch myself and be like, Hey, but it's still good advice. Why not say it? Yeah. It's good I'm advice. Like, wow. Like, oh my gosh. And even with some of like the tonage and some of like my thought processes, cause my mama, like I'm very fiery. My mama is very um, tender, very calm. Now she's not no pushover. She's going to gather right. you necessary, right. but She's not as outwardly fiery as I am. Um, but for I noticed that when I do tone that down, that's my mother's side all day. Yeah. That's my mama all day. It's all so day interesting day. that sometimes I find, and this is a bit of a side note, but sometimes I find that, and I don't know if this is about capitalism. I don't know if this is about patriarchy. I don't know what it's about. But there seems to be somehow, or maybe it's just about misogyny and contempt of women. But for some reason... There's this idea that if something was practiced by previous generations, it is no longer any good. It is no longer useful. So say, for example, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the phrase, not your mama's blank yeah. or not your grandmama's blank. Yeah, I have. Like, this I have. is not your grandmama's thing. This is not your mama's thing. But I'm like, what is wrong with your mama's thing? Like, what was wrong with it? Right. Why do you have to somehow reject what your mama and grandmama did as and do something new and better as if that's somehow a radical improvement when what we if we had a society that was more interested in investing in love more interested in invested in true community and learning we would care more about what our ancestors did and thought because they survived shit that's way harder than we well, than what we have to deal with and like I tell anybody, they did it with fewer resources than we have. You know, they did it with my grandmother. My grandmother was born in 1913. She was born the same year Harriet Tubman died. Oh, wow. My grandmother lived through a lot. She lived to be 104. So she lived through slavery the entire night, reconstruction, everything. She lived well, in 1913, reconstruction, all that stuff had already happened. Right. But she lived in the earliest part of the 20th century where black codes, all sorts of yeah. restrictions, all of these things, working in environments where she was expected to go through the back door, all of these things were part of her reality. And yet she came out on the other side and she sees us. So now she's got grandchildren that are marketing executives and nurse anesthetists and university professors, right? She's, able, she's been able to kind of see that. But none of that would have been possible if she hadn't survived and thrived in the first place. So I don't want to rush to this idea of, oh, that's not, that's not, hey, this is better. This is not your mama's blank and blank. 
as if like what your mama did was trash. And I, I, I do find that there's something about the way, I don't know if it's Americanness, I don't know, that wants to kind of burn what was what, what, what used to be because what's new is what really matters as if what was in the past has no value. So I, when I find myself saying my mama's quotes, I just feel like I'm being a good mother. I hear that. <laughs> or that, or that I'm on the right track. <laughs> I had to catch myself. I was thinking 13, 19, 13 back, 19, 13 forward, girl, of course. I'm tripping, my bad. But no, so, you're right, so you're right, slave calls, television, civil rights movement, the whole nine. So that's my bad, y'all. I had a little brain fart. But I'll see about Harriet Tubman. So, so yeah, like it's just it is interesting because it speaks to the notion of a, some some people. I'm gonna say a subculture um, because it ain't for all of us. It's a subculture of people in my generation and younger uh, millennials, Gen Z. Um, that's some of Gen X, but a lot of Gen X know better. But some of them, uh, some of my younger generations are like, I'm not my ancestors, and I'm like, if you gotta say that, yes. you're not. Yes. You're not. Because really your ancestors are. got way more hearts yes. for you to even be in a position to be exactly. on a cell phone in a place where you can sit wherever you want to yeah. sit. That's it. That's like, it. That's right. Just, you know, granted, we got the wage gap. That's going to take a long time to fix, obviously. The system going to have to crumble right. all the way to get what we really want. But right. to even say that, make shirts, monetize off of that concept, especially with the history of the country is about erasure anyway. Yep. It's That's where all that stuff comes everything. from. It's about erasure. Why watch it erasure? So all yeah. it, I think that, unfortunately, and I talk to my homeboy, um, Reverend James Woodall, about the religion of white supremacy, and it's about dehumanization. So it's like, it's almost like going there. It's like you're contributing to stuff that's white supremacist based, and you don't even realize it. You're dehumanizing your own ancestors. And for, and for what? That's what I like to know. Like you mentioned the monetization and for what? To tell a t-shirt, to sell a t-shirt? For $30. And this, and this is the thing, right? Here's the thing that gets me about it, Maria. I think that people don't seem to understand or like maybe refuse to accept that, as I said before, why are we so willing to throw away our ancestors? Why are we so willing to say either we're either saying this not your mama's this not your grandma's that or it's the i'm not my ancestors and this is this this is the real trick one of the worst things that i believe has happened in the american public education system and beyond is the 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 effectiveness of the lie that slavery is black people's shame Ooh, that's deep. Right? That's facts. That's facts. This idea that with this idea has circulated. Yes, probably that slavery is black people's shame. So when you hear what what I hear, people say, I don't like them slavery movies or them slavery books or this slavery, this and slavery that. I'm sick of it, blah, blah, blah. I don't need that. It's shame. In fact, the shame of slavery does not belong to black people. The shame of slavery belongs to white people. White people have inherited the shame of slavery. And yet they have also produced narratives that make slavery seem like it was an inevitability, a necessity, an economic institution that was required for the building of America and done anything and all to reduce the impression that it was a harmful travesty 
and the most gross violation of human rights in history. That is where I, that's the part that hurts my heart when I see people selling $30 t-shirts saying, I am not my ancestors, you can catch these hands. People threw hands. Gabriel Prosser in Virginia threw hands and was betrayed and executed alongside 20 other people. Nat Turner threw hands and was also executed along with other people because these forms of resistances have negative consequences. But there's something in the narrative that is that does not match the historical record that Black people were passive, that Black people willingly accepted slavery, that Black people somehow knew they were better off even in captivity and locked down and incarcerated on plantations around the country. And it's, it's such... I really think that that is the most that is the most extreme and thorough form of gaslighting that still remains active in many black imaginations today. This idea of being ashamed of slavery. And it goes back to how we think about how power works in this country. Right. I saw a short interview with, you know, I'm not really that well-versed in the things that are happening now. I think this woman might've been an entertainer. She was talking with Gail King and Gail King asked her, you might know who this person is. I'm sure if you saw the clip, you would know who she was. But Gail King asked her, well, why did you stay? And she said, honestly, Gail, you know, I am not gonna answer that question because we need to stop. I know you're asking it in love, but we need to stop asking battered women why they stayed and instead, we need to ask men who are abusers, why do they abuse? That was uh, FKA Twigs. That was Twigs. Yes. See, yeah. I told you you know who that was. I, and thought, I, thought, I thought it was beautiful. And I thought it was 100% facts. But this is exactly what we have done. That We have internalized somehow the shame of slavery as something that we have done wrong. As opposed to a crime perpetual a crime perpetrated against us by a nation full of liars. I agree with you. I, <laughs> I think that's- and, the they, and they wrote all the history books and they still write the history books. They was trying to make it sound like slavery uh, was like indentured servitude. Last I saw, they were trying to make it sound like slaves were okay with working. Or slaves it. were workers or they had families. Right. All right. this it's nonsense. Like, it's, 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 it's like, it's, Again, speaking to the erasure aspect, it's like, oh, this is too much accountability. Let's oh, exactly. roll it back. Exactly. Let's, exactly. Let's, let's do this again. Let's get back to the old way of doing things where, you know, we can tell you what the history was. Now that we're finding out otherwise, yes. they're like, oh, well, let's still try to write it anyway. It's just, it's blatant at this point. So it's almost like if you're oh, going to yeah. believe it at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, really it's, it's curricular it. violence. It's curricular violence. And a lot of us have um, been really compromised by that pretty negatively. Right. So this has been such a wonderful conversation, but I wanted to ask you um, the, what, what do you ultimately want to do in the grand scheme of things with, um, stitch please with black women stitch like what what is the ultimate goal where you can just your dream goal of okay what you want to make 
So for me, my my goal for the podcast, I'm not trying to be the largest podcast in the world. I'm not trying to even be the biggest sewing podcast in the world. I am trying to to provide consistent engagement and celebration and recognition of Black women, girls, and femmes in the sewing space. And so that is a very niche, small, it seems for some, mission, right? And so for me, the podcast, I would love it to continue to thrive and grow. I have really exciting things that I want to try out in terms of new episodes and formats and guests and stuff. And so I'm really happy with how things are going with that. If I had my absolute dream for Black Women's Stitch and was funded beyond all, you know, you know, wildly, wildly funded with, you know, with, you know, an endowment with lots of money, what I would do is I would open up retreat centers across the nation. I would divide them into regions and I would train regional supervisors to hold curated wellness-based arts retreats for Black women. So they'd be Black women who sewed Black women who quilted, Black women who do crochet and yarn and needle arts, that there would be a space for Black women to come and congregate. It would be residential. Um, there would be all sorts of, you know, really great food, massages, rest, relaxation, sewing time. Those are the kind of things that I would like to do um, as the organization advances and grows. And to expand from the digital space that I try to provide for a whole experience of the Black woman, girl, and feminist sewing community, to have that be a physical thing that you can go to and visit and stay a week or have a weekend in a really wonderful facility that was created just for you and with you in mind and what your needs were, what you wanted, what your goals were. Um, that's what I would like. I like, I want that too, so I can go. Um, so yeah, can, I want it so I can go. <laughs> so how can we join Black Women's Stitch? So um, Black Women's Stitch, um, the membership right now, the way that membership works, it's a, it's a, we have a charter membership that's already framed and complete. We are working on extending like a membership model. We've thought about that, but I, I, I don't have the energy at this point to kind of like kind of create all of those different structures, but I'm really about community. So if you're interested in Black Women's Stitch, and I hope people are, please follow Black Women's Stitch on Instagram every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I do an IG live for about an hour. I've been doing that for almost two years. Um, you 15 minutes? I am. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. Um, and, um, so that's, that's the, and then listen to the podcast and connect with us. You know, I am very good about responding to emails and DMS and stuff like that. You know, we do not have a website yet. That is one of the goals. We are currently working on that. We have a wonderful black woman developer who's working with us to develop our website. It's getting gorgeous. I'm excited. So that's in the works. Um, and we also have a Patreon. So if you want to support the Black Women's Stitch Patreon, uh, we are definitely looking for support in that. And those resources we are cultivating in the hopes of building an endowment. So anything that people can um, like want to join that community and I'm pretty active there at least once a month, I'm providing something new, either some, a graphic image um, and also Patreon 
um, Patreon supporters get the videos of any interview that I have that requires art video. So like sometimes I'll work with people and they'll do songs, still do t- studio tours or whatever. And the people who are listening to the podcast get to hear it, but the folks who are watching it get to see it. And that's a Patreon benefit. Um, and that you can find our Patreon at Black Women Stitch. I'm on it right now. I was like, oh, y'all got a Patreon. We got a Patreon. I was actually interviewing Murs. Um, he's a rapper out here. He's a rap legend. Nice. Um, and he was talking about how it's important to support black creators and you know subscribe because the black community has been late to the subscription party when it comes to like he said think about it you have hbo they got their streaming they got their subscription apple music spotify even youtube everybody is doing subscription-based models but us as black creators so he was like you know he was like he does his best to support uh black creators as much as he can or, or whatever tier so i'm really glad that you're on patreon i'm working on my own patreon myself i do sunshine challenges every every um sun sign so we're in pisces season right now yes that's what i oh. am oh you are when your birthday? march 20th uh, oh you at the end at the end I'm right, on the right on the cusp between pisces and aries and, and i was aries. born at i was born at 2 32 in the afternoon oh you so, was at the last really close the to the last half of the day wow uh, that is dope but I do sun sign challenges, so we do tips based on what sign the sun is in, and then we use that energy to better our lives. Because I'm not really with the dramatics. It's hard to really change your life dramatically <laughs> unless there's some type of trauma or some type of super drastic event. So for yeah. those who are kind of like, I'm not there, but I want to do other stuff, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, well, I got a few tips for you during the season. You can apply them each week and then go from there, assess where you at, move forward to the next and you, and so, Is that what you do in your Patreon? Is that what you do? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And then I do other stuff for other tiers too, but like that's the most basic tier. It's just to do the sun sign challenge. The game is there, you know what I mean? So even if people get there, you know, in I think I started in Virgo season. So if you get there now, you got the tips from Virgo season too. Yes, exactly, so, exactly. Yes. And I don't have tiers, but I was totally thinking about it. I'm just like anything, anybody is fine, whatever you can do. Right. I was, I was, I was totally thinking about that, but I mean, I, I do, I mean, I spend a lot of time on Black Women's Stitch and I spend a lot of time on the podcast, but it's not, as you said, it's not my actual job. And so right. my actual job like takes a lot of time and a lot of resources and a lot of like, even when I get off this call and after I go do my live, I still have to do some writing for right. my job. That's right. also due today. So it's just like, oh. Maybe it's cool. the best way to do the membership model in the meantime until y'all get your own CRM system. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. It's something we're definitely thinking about. I, I love that idea. And you mentioned subscription service. I meant, I forgot to mention there are several, at least three off the top of my head, Black-owned fabric subscription boxes. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. I know that. Yes. So if you are thinking about, you said talk about fabric suppliers, these women will, you, you subscribe and every month you get a box. There's some African wax print fabrics that, are, that do it. There's another woman um, that does, um, it's called, like a, she's a Nina, Mar- Nina Ramel fabric box. And oh my gosh, I can't, I'm blanking on her name right now. Oh my gosh. I don't have my phone either. But anyway, she has a really popular fabric box subscription. Another one just came through melanated fabrics that okay. Brittany K. Jones is working on. So there are, so yeah, that, wow. that is also available. So that's also fun to kind of get surprising new things every month. That is, that is, that's dope. 
So how can people get in touch with you? So we have Black Women Stitch on Instagram. Is there any other way that people can get in touch with you? That is the best way. That is, I am most active. My, my most active social media presence is Instagram. I am on there a lot. And um, I, we, we do have a Facebook page for the podcast, but I check those messages a lot less frequently. Yeah. I so you. I would. Hmm? I say I feel you with that. Me too. It's, a, it's just it's a lot. It's just, oh my gosh, come on now. So Instagram though, I'm really good. If someone messages me on Instagram, I get back within a day or two at the latest. So um, that's the best way is if you follow Black Women Stitch and send me a DM. If you have a question, I'll send it right back. You can also email me at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. Are you on Clubhouse too? I am. I am on Clubhouse. Lisa Woolfork, like a wool sweater and a fork in the road. I am on Clubhouse. And I'm trying to get a Black Women Stitch Clubhouse, like to get our own club. But it's all these like steps that feel secret and complicated. And then it's like, do I have enough time to, you know, I think they said you have to like host three meetups, like in three weeks at the same time. I don't know how that works. We're going to talk after this interview real quick. And I'll tell you how I got my club. It took me about, about 28 days, maybe 21, 28 days. What? Okay, you tell me after. But all right, y'all. So this has been a wonderful conversation with Lisa Wolfork. Guys, I can't talk. I'm so excited, y'all. Sorry, I'll be putting my foot in my mouth. We have had such an awesome conversation. Ancestral traditions, art forms of sewing, the ecosystem of just black stitching and and work with anything that has to do with any kind of fabric, any kind of method of doing so. Stitch please the uh, Stitch please the podcast. Where is it on all podcast streaming? It's on all. It's everywhere. You can find it everywhere. Um, it's okay. Apple, Spotify, Catcher, Stitcher, Podbean, Pandora, Google Play. Are you everywhere? Everywhere. Okay, so you got Stitch please Black Women Stitch Instagram. She's good at DMing. You can email her. She's on Clubhouse. Yep. And yep. Maybe we can get some rooms going. They went. That would be you great. Go. And y'all tap. I've done a bunch of rooms. I did. I did a room once called How, "Why Wonder Woman 1984 Ruined My Life." I did that room. I made that one up because that that film was hot garbage. I did oh, one dang. on. I did one on Bridgerton because I was loving Bridgerton. I've been in one on um, Jesus, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is. Uh-huh. Did you see that yet? I haven't seen it yet. I'm supposed to. I got plans to see it this weekend. It is a must see. It is an apps. I, I want to talk to you afterwards. So it's I'm, a, it's, I'm gonna be angry when I see it. I already know, so I'm mentally prepared. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Keith but, Stanfield did a great job, which means oh, he killed it. Which he means I'm gonna be pissed off. It. So I'm it's like, let me. Really, it's here. really something. It's a real. It's a real statement, and it's a gorgeous achievement of a film, in my opinion. Okay, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely. I mean, I was gonna check it out, but now I'm just like, okay, it's gonna be a beautiful piece of art. So, oh, yeah. All right, y'all. I'm going to turn this recorder off. So this has been a wonderful episode with I, Lisa thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you. I love your mission. Thank you, and I love what you're doing too. Thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. And that was episode 173 with Lisa Woolfork of Black Women Stitch and the Stitch Please podcast. You're going to get the show notes if you're if you're listening on this podcast with all of her links if you want to find her. So definitely tap in with Lisa. She's really great and the mission is beautiful. And I'm definitely going to be supporting that and whatever she has going on down the line. I really think that it's a beautiful, it was a beautiful conversation with a beautiful spirit. And I cannot wait to have more of them in the future. So if y'all want to find me, y'all can do so at Spiritual Homegirl on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Patreon, I'm Spiritual Homegirl. We're still doing our Pisces and Sun Sign Challenge. 
changing our lives step by step incrementally um, every sun sign season. You can sign up. Tears only start at $7.23 a day. And also, you can find me on Clubhouse, Spirit Homegirl. My club is Make Peace with the Day. We do rooms three times a week talking about all things um, concerning making sure that we are able to navigate the journey peacefully, um, regardless of obstacles in the journeys that we face here um, as humans and spirits having a human and spiritual experience. So, yeah, I know sometimes I try to make it seem like it's one or the other. No, it's both. We're having both a human and spirit experience. At least that's just my belief. Um, but yeah, so we got social media, we got my YouTube, we got the Patreon, we got the clubhouse, and then we have the homegirl shop, that's spiritualhomegirl.shop. If you want crystal infused aromatherapy, definitely tap in with your girl. I am a certified aromatherapy practitioner, so I know what I'm doing, okay? My inhalers are usually great for those that need like something that can carry on the go to calm down. Um, you can just wave them under your nose or put it gently underneath your nostril, not all the way up your nose. Okay. Take you some inhaling breaths and you should be good to go. And I also have roll-ons um, that I do for those that want to put that on their pulse points, um, meridians, energy centers, what have you. Um, you can definitely do that as well. And I also have bath sets and... Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do for now. So at least with the aromatherapy piece, you can definitely tap in again at spiritualhomegirl.shop and to sign up for Tribe Letter so you don't miss any playlist. If I ever have any that I want to share, any homegirl game that's once a week for free since your inbox, you can also sign up at spiritualhomegirl.shop or just click the link in my show notes and tap in with your folks. So, all right, y'all, that's been another awesome episode of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. We still on this daily podcast, the marathon, all gas, zero breaks. In honor of the ancestors, my name is Maria. And remember, trust the journey, trust yourself, and tap in with your ancestral art forms. You'd be surprised with what you find. Peace. This episode has been produced by producer extraordinaire Jason Trichodemics Valerio. 